And welcome to Gleaming the Geek, Carlos Correa Reports Edition. I am John Bonus, Truthdaily.com with me. Aaron Gleaming with the Athletic.com. Nick Nelson pointed out that on the most recent Patreon podcast, you, uh, you know, cart ahead of the horse to yourself and called yourself John Daly from Twins Bonus, basically. <laughs> I did not. You almost did. You almost really? called yourself John Daly, which everyone, a couple people sent me pictures of John Daly, the golfer, which honestly, you know, couple, John's not couple, quite couple, as colorful. A couple people being like, all my partners are Twins Daily, right? Yeah. Well, those, <laughs> yeah, did you those have a Google chat with, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a similar look. Somebody, um, sweet. <laughs> it, is, it is becoming a similar look, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what happens to you guys. You part, you party boys as you near your fifties. That's right. You, uh, that's what happens to you guys. But, but, uh, sweet I, guess, Lou I, guess I guess they're taking up some lung darts, I think. Yeah, great. Our friend from uh, from Zone Coverage, who is of course best known to friends and family for bringing me sweet Martha's cookies in the in the press box last year, sent a great little uh, meme of Tiger Woods, sort of looking at a crazily dressed John Daly on the putting green with like his hands on his hips, and he said he marked it Aaron and John, which I like because that implies I'm Tiger. You're Woods, the Tiger is- Woods. But yeah. it was more like, well, this guy's sick of this guy's antics, and, but this guy just wants to drink a beer and party. So that's that's about what we got on the show uh, today. Yeah, John is uh, in the in the press box at uh, Hammond Stadium in Fort Myers, like you mentioned. Uh, Carlos Correa showed up today. Yep, um, he's he's and, and, of, and as a result, of course, there was a lot of extra press at the clubhouse today. Right. I mean, yeah. he, I mean, but, technically, they still have position players. Still couple days. Three till days Sunday. Sunday's uh, position players report. So. Right. That's I come in when the, I'm a position player. <laughs> I'm a right. DH designated hitter. That's I'm a parts. Right. I'm a platoon DH. Oh, actually, I just mentioned like almost all the position players are here right now. Yeah. Um, I'd say there's a handful that are not. I know. I don't think I've seen Buxton. I don't think I've seen Gallo. I haven't actually. I didn't actually pay that much attention as I went to the clubhouse today to see if, you know, which lockers still haven't, you right. know, been lived in, yet. But pretty much. I mean, it was Korea was one of the only handful that had not reported as of yet. So, uh, yeah, is he in the far right back corner, uh, or the right by the door? Right by the door. Oh, he got the Nelson Cruz spot. Yeah, that's right. He, he gets the, the one room. right by the right by the door that you enter in. Right. Yeah, on the left. Yes, on the left. Yeah, that's that's the Nelson Cruz uh, memorial spot. I always yeah. thought that was interesting as a spot because. It seems to be an annoying place unless now I say that as someone who doesn't like to interact with anyone ever. However, if you're Nelson Cruz or Carlos Correa and you, let's say, have a normal functioning brain and you enjoy people and you view yourself a leader, in the clubhouse, <laughs> perhaps the idea that literally everyone has to walk in front of you to right. and from uh, makes it good. I would want to be I would want the old Josh Donaldson spot, which is just the furthest back corner. That no one could ever accidentally walk. You're talking about the furthest back corner to the right or to the left? The right. Well, Donaldson was on the right, but yeah, yeah to the right, uh, that's a pitcher land. So I right. think John, uh, Sonny Gray is over there at this time, and to the left, that further back, the further back corner is uh, Vasquez. That's Push usually the, yeah. That's, yeah, that's usually the the catcher's corner over well, there. Well, the catchers also get a consideration, like for instance, Sonny Lee or Sandy Leone at the end of last season got what had been the Joe Smith spot on the left, right. When you walk in the clubhouse in part, because he's, you know, a veteran, but in part, because catchers just need a lot of room to put their crap. Right. Well, I mean, we should mention almost all of those spots have a, a empty locker next right. to them. You get right? it. It's the, like a double the, locker. Right. And the reason why is because 
yeah, they do interviews over there, and they <laughs> the poor sap that has to be right next to them right. can't get to their locker more often than not. So they just leave it open for them. So this was the, my first like week ever covering the Twins. Whatever, four years ago or three years ago, I was interviewing um, Taylor Rogers, and he was in reliever land, which is you know it was Tyler Duffy <laughs> right. and Taylor yeah, Rogers right. and yeah. Trevor May at the time, and uh, Tyler Clippard, I think. And I talked to Taylor Rogers like twice in three days. And then at the end of the second one, he was very friendly. He's a good interview. He like, I think he turned to either Tyler Clippard or Trevor May and was like, you want, you got anything for them? Because it's like, yeah, they just been standing next <laughs> right. to me. If you have a normal exactly. locker, I mean, they're right. decent sized lockers, but it's yeah. like, yeah, you're a foot from me listening. And you're just like tying your shoes or doing a crossword puzzle. Well, while an uh, interview goes on. So yeah, that's, that's actually a, there is an interesting dynamic down here. I was but, just about to say with we the should... interviews is that there are there are people that you know you as a you know reporter you have to interview them and especially like this week you want to get a good fifteen minutes to twenty minutes to half an hour with some of the bigger names and that's with everybody there getting stuff and you cover an enormous amount of stuff and then you all go back and you transcribe it and you save it because. That is something that you're going to, you you might do a a report on that or a story on that player, but you also might just hang on to that and have, you know, 10 different things that you can reference later on in the year, right? In the meantime, there's also like, you know, a bunch of guys who are here for their first time or are, you know, like Blaine Enloe. I I, I interviewed Blaine Blaine Enloe yesterday. Uh, Blaine Enloe is sitting in his locker, standing in his locker. Blaine Enloe is... you know, there are people who are like, yeah, I, I will give one long interview in that week because I don't want to have to be talking to everybody all the right. time, right? Like you know, like somebody like Buxton. So you kind of got to protect because otherwise right. people will constantly be giving you an interview. Well, Blaine Enloe is more than happy to talk to anybody right. that will talk to Blaine Enloe. He just got taken off the 40-man roster. No, he a year last year coming back from Tommy John surgery. Like, you know, and so, and, and then there's, you know, because there are so many guys in camp, there's 60, 69 guys in camp, right? 67. That's, 67. That's how many I wish there I were could, 69. Could... <laughs> that would have been such a better headline. 69 <laughs> thoughts on 69 <laughs> players in camp. Let's hope exactly. they had two guys. Exactly right. And then you know, a lot of them are like, I don't recognize that name. And that's because he was a minor league uh, free agent yeah. signee with a non-roster invitation. And you got you got to go look him up again. Like, who, right. his, that last name doesn't ring a bell. You could you could just read you could just read my article. I will seven thoughts will on really sixty. Uh, yeah, no, I I have a list. Uh, I have a little Google document for next Monday when I'm there. I'm showing up Sunday, but I'll be at the ballpark Monday, and I have a list of like people to interview right away. And the list is exactly as you described. I don't think there's a single guy who has more than like eight games in the majors on the list because <laughs> to your point like i want to interview i don't know austin martin let's say right right and austin martin is not going to be there for all of camp i'm sorry to break the news to austin <laughs> martin but he's there while there's 67 guys right he might not be there where there's when there's 47 guys right and so you start to for a couple of weeks it's just everyone is you know just jammed into this clubhouse basically but you start to go up oh, first day of cuts there go eight guys second day of cuts there go six more guys and then you start to look around and there's a lot fewer guys like blaine enlow right who are just happy to chat or you know right. just don't get talked to that much so right. I, I i'm gonna try to come in 
and hit and make the rounds and hit all the guys who I don't want to say are happy to see me specifically because they don't know who the hell I am, <laughs> right? But right. are happy to see someone who's interested from right. whether they're prospects. We have or, a story to tell, right? Right. right, right. Like you said, like this guy's kind of interesting, but what's his? What's his? What's your deal? That's my leadoff question to everyone this year. I decided. <laughs> what, hey, buddy, what's your what's deal? Your deal? <laughs> and I'm just curious: do people get angry? They at look that at you blankly. <laughs> yeah. Do they go half off, or do they, they say, what, "What's your deal"? <laughs> well, that's all. You don't want to know, buddy. Buddy. You don't want to know. know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so John's there. I'm getting punchy because I'm going to be there in, what, 72 hours or something like that? Not even. 40 hours. Um, Yeah. Uh, So our next show, hopefully, will be uh, in person Monday after, like John said. But that show will be a Patreon. That's true. It'll be a Patreon, and our last show is a Patreon. Yeah, I mean, if you've been holding off to uh, to sign up to become a Patreon subscriber, supporter, uh now's the time to do it uh we're the next patreon show will be live from the ballpark with both of us it'll be the full squad day the first day which means everyone who's supposed to be there is there they're all going to be on the field i think we should maybe plan on uh, recording it during bp or something like that so we can hold the (laughs) mic out the window and hear a few crack of the bats or something i like that um and yeah from from this point forward we're going to be doing We'll continue to do the weekly free show, which you're listening to right now, and we're glad to have you on it. But we're going to be doing, I would say, at minimum one, most likely an average of two per week, also on the Patreon from now through opening day. And then, of course, once the season starts, it's going to be business as usual on that front, too. So probably have some beat, probably have some beat writers as guests. We'll definitely well, be having some mailbags. Don't discourage them from joining <laughs> with these beat writers. But yeah, we, we we're going to have some Megan Ryan groups. on. I had yeah. just said to Megan Ryan like two weeks ago, I wonder if this is why she left. Well, the maybe. Beat. Yeah. I just said to her, hey, you're the last uh, of the beat writers that we haven't had on. You're going to have to do the podcast. And she was like shockingly into it. And then like four days later, she's like, hey, guys, I'm leaving the beat. And I was like, it might be more interesting to have her on now because now she can just ditch the just dish yeah. dirt on everything. Like I may, get you, the bitter, the bitter Megan. Right. I uh, <laughs> we may want to give her a few weeks to cool down. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'll say this about Megan. She's she she will be a good guest, maybe yeah, a little too yeah. good uh, by some people's <laughs> standard. Um, yeah, well, she'll she, have, she, she, we should be clear. She moved over to the uh, yes. She moved. Over she to didn't the like get cut. Or Star I was just kidding on that. <laughs> she moved over yeah, to she, the Star Tribune business side. She's gonna be yeah, an she's, editor over there. She's right? an editor now. Which yeah, yeah. what? Not even writing it. Can you imagine that? Not <laughs> even writing anymore. Oh my God, that's what we all yeah. aspire to do. <laughs> uh, okay, so. Join the Patreon. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Gleeman. And the way it works is those are commercial free episodes. Occasionally, we even drop a curse word in. It's sort of like a, it's more of like a private club vibe because it's just a a smaller audience. I was going to say a much smaller audience, but it's not that much smaller anymore. Thankfully, (laughs) We're grateful for that. Yeah. Um, And so they're like midweek episodes. Like John said, we do mailbags, we do interviews. We, we kind of get into more of the nitty gritty of topics you know, spend a half hour on something instead of two minutes on something. Right. Um, and then also if just anything happens during the week, it's nice to not wait four more days or five more days to do the free show. So yeah, there's my pitch to to join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Gleeman. Okay. So uh, I, there isn't really news. Like you said, pretty much everybody's there. We talked on the Patreon about like some basic day one injury updates on everybody. But for the most part, like if you're interested we're going to hit on some of that. But for the most part, everyone is healthy-ish at worst. 
that was expected to be healthy. Like Chris yeah, you mean just kind of run, run over a high level no, sort of. What it'll we take forever. Like, There's 15. No, it'll be real quick. Other, Royce Lewis and Chris Paddock are out until midseason, minimally. Right. Right. Uh, everyone else is either fully healthy, like Kent Maeda, let's say, yeah. or healthy but going to ramp up slowly, I would say. Is that there anybody Al- who. Al- and those guys are Alcala, Kirilov, potentially Polanco and Buxton. We don't, I haven't heard right. much about that, but I mean, uh, but. Uh, you know, no limitations on Larnick, Maeda, Ober, Mali, all those guys. So, right. Yeah. Did you, when you chatted with Tyler uh, Mali yesterday, yes. did you mention to him that your podcast partner has been accused of not believing <laughs> he has a right shoulder? I did. That. Okay. <laughs> what That's happened? Where one. is your right shoulder? Where has yeah. it disappeared? Right. Just a big, empty, <laughs> big, empty space. I, I um, I had, uh, it was a good conversation with Molly and it was, it was, uh, and it was, I was trying to kind of get him to, to open up a little bit more or explain a little more. He was really talkative, really chatty, um, you know, as players are. And yeah, as, early as we had, I don't think we had really seen that last year when we were, you know, when we were trying to get information about, so tell us about the shoulder here. Right. It was, sort, it was all very vague and it's still very vague, but I get the feeling, and this is not going to soothe your uh, thoughts at all. I think it's very vague because he doesn't really know exactly what's going on right. Right. or didn't know exactly what was going on. His theory is, first of all, I should mention, he did have something like this. He felt he had the same issue back in 2018. Okay. Now, 2018, he was a rookie and he did not tell anybody about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he just kind of kept pitching, and uh, he started out pretty good, and then he kind of sucked, <laughs> and he eventually got sent down to the minors. And it's not clear that he told any, and he had a sore shoulder for a little bit. Uh, maybe missed a couple of games, and then eventually pitched his way into back to AAA, and was kind of viewed as, oh yeah, we got a potentially failed prospect here. And it was a potentially failed prospect because his uh, slider and his changeup were stinking. Uh, they just got the snot kicked out of him in 2018, so much so that in 2019, he ditched the slider t- completely. He um, he switched to an entirely different pitch for in, for 2019. He was not good in 2019 either. But he didn't have that problem. He didn't have that shoulder problem. 2020, he didn't have the shoulder problem, and he brought back the slider, and that's when he had the breakout year. Right. right. That's, that was the, the, the year that he had the breakout year. And then he was so, good in 2021 also. He was good in 2021, no problem. No things. And he attributes last year to two things, kind of. He's he's speculating on what happened, why why he had shoulder fatigue last year when he hadn't had it for four years, right? Um, and that, and he by the way, he's also this is interesting too. I thought because similar to Correa, you know, Correa has this MRI on his ankle. Everybody's like, "Boy, is your ankle screwed up?" He's like, "Yeah, it feels fine. You know, or not feels fine, but you know, it doesn't really yeah, seem to be hurting. Not me at been all. an issue. It was exactly the opposite with Mally, right? He gets MRI after MRI after MRI on his shoulder last year." They're like, we don't see a thing. He's like, well, kind of weak. It's not really working. Right. I don't know exactly what it is. You know, it turns out the MRI and the the physical experience are not necessarily the same thing. You know, um. So he attributes last year to two things. First of all, the lockout, where um, he could not prepare uh, with the team and such the same way he could prepare otherwise, right? Because he was locked out, right? And then also the uh, the lockout as well, because that meant he had to ramp up real quick. Yeah, short so he, spring he, training. So he came into it with you know less preparation and then had to ramp up even quicker 
And as a result, he thinks he just put a little too much strain on the shoulder and it never really, never really kind of got it back uh, until he got more rest. Uh, you know, we, we, we also talked to him about, um, he had gone, and, and by the way, uh, his problem last year was versus right-handers. As a right-handed pitcher, his problem was versus right-handers. He held left-handers to a 602 OPS wow. and his right-handers problem, to a 783. That he several times came out to the mound through 86 miles an hour. That's the crazy thing. His problem, I, I get what you're saying. Like he was, his splits well, got a little wonky, but his problem really was not at any point super performance based. Like he wasn't great. Well, listen, when he was 86 miles per hour, he was just not pitching, right? He was just well, being pulled out. Of but the I'm game, saying right? if he just pitched like he had for the Reds down the stretch with the Twins and hadn't missed time, right. we wouldn't be talking about him as like a big question mark is all no, I'm saying. Right. It's the, yeah. Well, but uh, if you take a look at his splits, like I said, he had trouble versus right-handers. And he talked a little bit about that. He's like, yeah, my slider was crap all year. My slider and my changeup, especially my sliders, was crap all year, which was also the problem in 2018. When he had that issue, right? And so I said, well, is that related to the shoulder? He's like, no, no, I think I just I just couldn't get a feel for it and blah, 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 blah. And so in the off season, he was talking about going to driveline. And we assumed that it was because of his shoulder. And he went early. He went like in October to driveline. Driveline, to work we should say, is like a independent private uh, facility where it's like just the best tech and the best independent right. coaches. Right. And a lot of coaches have been hired from driveline to major league teams. And in fact, some major league teams like have a relationship now with driveline where they s- specifically like send their players there. Well, I mean, the guy who runs driveline, Kyle Bodie body uh, mm-hmm. was the pitching coordinator for the reds for like three years or whatever. But yeah, it's like, it's like the, the workshop for pitching and hitting mm-hmm. for that matter. But like guys just go there and just get like a kind of a, a full, uh, like they give you like a, they run you through like a physical, but like for your pitching, right? Like yeah, they basically right. say like you can do more spin here. We're gonna clean up your mechanics here. Your release points is screwed up here. It's, and it's like you, having an independent pitching coach. Yes, of. you know sure. what I mean. So, and so teams have really embraced that. But yeah, I mean that's good news in and of itself. Just that, like you said, early in the off season or whatever. He had that never he, gone there before, and he kind of got recommended, so he wanted to go check it out. And we were like, okay, so what was their assessment? Thinking that they were talking about the shoulder, right? And the answer was, well, yeah, I didn't go there to talk about the shoulder. I went there because my slider sucked and I wanted to work on my slider. And he did. He's apparently like, they basically said, eh, change your grip a little bit here and quit trying to throw the snot out of the ball when you throw it. And sure enough, it immediately fixed itself. And he went home and he continued to work on that. He feels really good about his slider this year, right? which, you know, we'll see if, if and he himself said, yeah, it's definitely breaking a lot more. It's exactly it's where I wanted it to be. We'll see how the hitters react. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing it in a game and see, you know, whether or not, you know, what I think is going to be effective is truly going to be effective. Um, you know, but basically he just, you know, kind of went back to the same strengthening routines and such that he had for his shoulder for, you know, most of last year. He's been working them in the offseason. He's been working them up now. He says he feels great. There's no limitations. I mean, it. I didn't find anything that was, I was trying to find something that would ease your mind, Aaron Gleeman, about his shoulder. I did not find anything that would ease your mind about, about his shoulder, uh, other than he just, yeah, thinks, well, it's, he just thinks he rushed it last year and it never really, never really got time. Well, okay. That's, that's plot. Here's the something. Thing. I say this to myself a lot when I have anxiety about things, which I don't have so much anymore, but I used to have a lot of, which is you can work yourself up over 
how something will go. Do you know what I mean? Right. If I knew I had to make a speech somewhere or I had to be a guest on some show or I had to go to some wedding that I wasn't looking forward to, go, whatever it is, I used to spend weeks going, well, how, <laughs> I'm going to get out of the car and then I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this. And, right. you know, we've talked about this. At some point I realized it's going to happen one way or the other, right? Like I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. And we're going to find out what the answer to how is this going to go? We're going to find out. <laughs> right. And so we can spend weeks or months as we have now during right. this off season speculating about what it means that Tyler Molly did this and did right. that and didn't do this and his shoulder. And does it, does it satiate my curiosity about it or whatever? Here's the thing within the next like few days, if not today or tomorrow, he's going to throw. Right. <laughs> and we're going to know, is he throwing 90? Cause which would be, you know, normal ish at this right. time of, of spring training. Or is he throwing 82? And there's, well, it's, I think, worthwhile to discuss it and speculate about it and, and go through the scenarios and all that. We've now reached the point, thankfully, in the offseason, it isn't even in the offseason. Now we've reached the point of spring training where, well, we're going to find out, right? right. I mean, we Listen, used to there, go through there, this with, there, there, go ahead. with Francisco Liriano <laughs> every year, right. which Liriano would inevitably be coming back from some injury whether it was a surgery or just got shut down early or was just having some soreness or whatever and we'd be speculating what's his velocity like and will he be ready and then there'd be a report that oh he was in the winter ball playing in you know whatever dominican or whatever and he was oh he was throwing 99 miles an hour and i just remember we probably talked about it on the show at the time that's great i'd rather he, he was throwing 99 than 89 but he's going to show up to spring training and we're going to see right. what he's actually throwing well one and of the reasons we with one of, the reasons we, one of the reasons we were arguing or, or debating or speculating about what, where Mally really was at the beginning of the offseason is there was still time to make a move. There was still time to go and get another pitcher uh, to try and reinforce the rotation, right? To take a look at everything and say, you know what? They, they could use another arm. Turns out they went and got the other arm. They went and got Pablo Lopez. Now it cost him Luis Arise. They didn't do those, they didn't do a free agency signing, but they did. Now we're at the point now where, like you said, it doesn't it's not like they can make a quick move to replace him. Now it's, you know, either he's going to be healthy or he's not going to be healthy. And we're just going to sit and see what happens. So, uh, We're going to, we're going to do a little on air production meeting where I'm going to tell John to shut his video off because it is lagging behind and is oh, affecting okay. the audio. All right. No problem. On my, uh, on my end, at least nothing. John looking at John is scary enough. <laughs> looking at John where he's sort of, pixelated and like jumping around on screen is uh oof it's like max hedrum really <laughs> that's there's a reference for the kids to get there's a 1985 i think i'm too young to know that i love uh, okay. the max hedrum reference <laughs> that's you john to a t <laughs> uh yeah so tyler malley so far so good but we're gonna find out i think the only other thing we we have a little something planned here that we have a little structure to the show finally <laughs> uh but before we get to that i just wanted to point out that something we've a topic that we talked about quite a bit which is, you know, what's left of the free agent reliever uh, bin? You know, what are kind of the last second options? And we've talked a lot about Michael Fulmer just because he was ended last season with the Twins and had been available. We talked about like Andrew Chafin. I think we talked a little bit about Matt Moore too as a le another lefty. Uh, all three of those guys have now signed like in the last, I don't know, five days. Fulmer got a one-year $3 million deal from the Cubs. 
Chafin signed with the Diamondbacks, and then Matt Moore yesterday, I think, signed a one-year, I want to say $7.5 million deal with the Angels. And so there isn't much left on the on the free agent reliever thing, although one of the things we talked about on the Patreon podcast two days ago is your conver- your conversation you had um, or the scrum that, that Falvey did on day one of camp, like literal day one, where he basically downplayed the possibility that they were going to sign a reliever or anyone really to a guaranteed, you know, major league contract. Right. But as we discussed at the time, you know, at this point, most of the relievers are probably looking at non-roster invites anyway, maybe a one year, $2 million deal or something like that. But it's, 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 if it's not the bottom of the barrel, you're it's within sight basically. Yeah, that's right. And and, he basically talked, He's specifically talking about NRIs, which is non-roster invites, right? So if you're looking at some adding somebody, it's not somebody that you're going to be adding to the 40-man roster. It's somebody that you're going to be right or guaranteeing a contract with. It might be a two-way contract or something like that. I'm, you know, there there might listen. There's still some names out there that are intriguing. Brad Hand being one of them, right? Right. It's just a question: is you know, it's, it's are we at the point where Brad Hand has to be looking at a non-guaranteed contract? I think we maybe are, um, although you know. It might very well be that there's – we are at the point – this is probably one of the toughest times to get a contract uh, You're, if you're a player uh, still out there looking for a job. It might be easier to find one in like three weeks. I was when, just about to say, yeah. <laughs> right. When people start warming up and suddenly, oh, this guy doesn't have the velocity we thought he had or he ended with last year. And boy, maybe you could use a left-handed person like a Brad Hand somewhere around the bullpen like it feels to, or somebody just plain gets injured. Um, you know, jobs do, I think they're more likely to have some jobs open up first week of March, second week of March uh, than there are than there are right, right. now in We'll see if the WBC plays with that at all. Yeah, I mean, you're rarely going to see, and we joked about this on the Patreon, I think, but like you're rarely going to see, you know, week one of camp, everybody's just kind of reporting, and the GM looks around and goes, ooh, we stink. We need help. Because <laughs> it's like if you thought that a week ago, you could have done something right. about it. So, right. yeah, to your point, you know, the, the herd will be thinned out a little bit by injuries or per, poor performance or guys who actually suck. You know, you're actually watching them. Uh, also, I'll just also just add this. There's just always so much optimism the first few days. Like, right. you know, the, you are talking about, you know, 100 people between you know, 100, 150 people between uh, players and coaches and support staff and reporters and, you know, fans wandering around the ballpark. They're all here because they loved baseball. You know, they, they, they chose the career path because they really loved baseball for the most part. 98% of them really loved baseball. Like, and so, you know, the first couple of days where you're feeling like, Hey, we could, we get to start playing baseball again. Like there's just a, there's just a tangible high uh, going around in the ballpark for the first week or so. And that optimism lends itself towards, Hey, I bet you so-and-so could be really good this year, right. <laughs> you know? And then, you know, uh, once that, once that high, that, that initial dopamine dose goes away, uh, you know, a week, a week and a half in, two weeks in, you start seeing some games and oh, uh, so-and-so's, you know, so-and-so's got to back off. He's going to miss his next start, something like right. that. You know, the reality does set in a little bit uh, second or third week of, of spring training. So. Luckily, right around the time that that tangible high starts to decrease, I'm going to show up and I'll, I always bring a tangible <laughs> high everywhere I go. That's right. Literal figure. Uh, okay, so the thing we wanted to talk about today as sort of the the overall structure of the show 
is, I don't know if we want to phrase it as like questions that need to be answered this spring or just sort of storylines we want to see more about storylines that we are curious about. You know, what are the, what are like the big talking points when you show up to the ballpark every day to cover this team? What are the things that are on, you know, the, the, the front of your mind that you're like, Ooh, you know, let's see this guy take BP or let's see this guy throw. And there are a bunch of them because that's the nature of any team, but especially a team where there were, you know, a billion health question marks all off season. And like you said, still some right now. Uh, So we kind of wanted, we, we each assigned ourselves to come up with five of them, five, I don't know, questions to, to answer the spring, let's call it. But what I'm curious to see is of, I came up with five and you came up with five. It's possible. They are literally the same five. My guess is there's probably a few uh, overlaps minimum. Uh, So I'm curious to see like what, how, how uh, identical is our, mindset on this thing so we'll t- we're gonna kind of go through those and then have a discussion and give any updates on on all that stuff but before we do that should we hit our we only have one sponsor today so we, should we yeah. hit our one sponsor? yes absolutely yes which um, is a uh, better help um we are doing essentially <laughs> what you can do on better help which is you right. can hop on a video call and get real therapy from a real therapist and get actual help from somebody uh, in the privacy of your own home, at the convenience of your schedule, uh, for as long or as short as you want. And in, I always say this, if you're someone who doesn't even like being on video, you can do a phone chat with audio only chat. And if you're a weirdo like me who hates being on the phone, <laughs> you can just type with somebody who will answer your questions and talk to you about whatever you want to talk about. And so I, I think that to me, that's like the biggest appeal of of better help, which is however in your mind you think would be the best path towards getting some help with whatever problem you have from a real therapist. They can, they can set it up for you. Yeah. And not to mention, you know, that also reduces the costs overall. And so, you know, all the obstacles that get in the way from you making the sometimes real difficult decision to go seek therapy. The last thing you want when you've gone through that is then take a look at the obstacles that are involved, whether it's finding a person to talk to or finding a time to find that person or finding a time on their schedule to talk to them or having to pay for that sort of thing. All of that stuff is eased, eased, eased up with BetterHelp. So you, uh, you can discover your potential with BetterHelp and visit BetterHelp.com slash Gleeman today, and you're going to get 10% off your first month if you go to BetterHelp.com slash Gleeman. That's better. Help H E L P dot com slash Gleeman get ten percent off your first month. Okay, um, I don't know. I guess I can start. Yeah, you start. I've been really. I mean, I kind of put these in order, but I don't know. I didn't want to be that precise with it. So <laughs> I, I guess I'll start. Which I don't have any specific order on these things. I don't have a top five, but you okay. go ahead. Uh, my first one. See the the thing. Like I mentioned this, but like there are so many injuries, and that is such a dominant. Right. set of storylines i mean honestly we could do a 10 part list and they're all injuries do you know what i mean like right. there are t- there are 10 players minimally that i'm like i need to see if this guy's healthy because that's a key for this team and so i guess i've kind of grouped them a little bit but <laughs> number one for me is the rotation right and we just spent quite a bit talking about tyler molly so we we don't necessarily have to go in depth into him, but to me the the two biggest questions in the starting rotation, which is in my mind the deepest 
in terms of average or better options and yeah. probably just overall the best group of starting pitchers the Twins have had. Certainly, like Falvey said, in their seven years, although that's not necessarily saying a whole lot, but I would say, <laughs> I, I looked this up a little bit, I would say since basically Johan Santana's prime, you know, the the early to mid-2000s, when it was, you know, Santana and you had the end of Brad Radke's career and then you had, you know, guys like Loesch and Silva. Right. Uh, probably forget. Well, and then briefly you had Liriano, obviously, who was exceptional uh, for a brief window. The, and, and you had Santana at the top of the rotation. He was the best pitcher in the world. Since then, and that's, you know, 20 years ago, roughly, I do think this is on paper the best rotation the Twins have had. Like we've talked about, they have six. I don't want to say veteran starters, but they have six kind of established major league starters for five spots. But then beyond that, they they also have Louis Varlin, who's their back-to-back minor league pitcher of the year. They have Simeon Woods-Richardson, who was a prospect acquired in the Jose Barrios trade, who looks very good. They have someone like Josh Winder, who we saw in kind of a dual role last year. Right. And then they, they still have some prospects, someone like Jordan Balzavic, who has to bounce back. And then, like we talked about on the Patreon quite a bit yesterday, or two days ago, Chris Paddock they're hoping to have in right. August and September. And so <clears throat> there are a few other guys too, but that's like eight, nine, ten guys. And I'm not saying all those guys are all-stars or world beaters or whatever, but to me those are all average or better, most likely, starters. Now the prospects might struggle a little bit early on, but I just can't remember a, a Twins rotation depth chart that looked anything like this. However, we talked about Mally being a big question mark. He's essentially made two healthy starts for the twins. Um, and then Kenta Maeda is the other one that I right. have grouped in here, which Kenta Maeda said early on in camp. Well, he actually said it at twins fest first, but that he's ready to go. He's a full goal. He will, I think he's gone, what, 18 or 19 months now between major league games. Yeah. Coming back from Tommy John surgery, elbow surgery, and was potentially, talked about coming back in august or september of last year as a reliever the twins ended up scrapping that idea with the point being kind of we want to give him a full offseason no setbacks clean slate to have him do what he's done now which is show up at spring training 18 months removed instead of you know 13 months removed whatever it is and kind of be a full go but within that you know what does a full go mean for a 35 year old guy coming off tommy john surgery who hasn't pitched in you know, a year and a half. So yep. those two to me. Well, and also over. I mean, let's not right. forget over. I mean, uh, listen, those two are the veterans that we've got concerns about because we didn't see them last year. We also didn't see much of Ober last year. And part of that concern there is he's just never really had. I, I don't think he's ever thrown a hundred innings in a, a year uh, right now with uh, minors or majors. I think he topped out in like nineties. Uh, maybe, maybe one year he has. But you know he's always been somebody who's been somewhat limited. He's you know he had a it doesn't seem like he had a major injury last year that he's coming back from. It was just sort of a core thing. But there's just sort of at some point you get sort of a track record of not really being particularly reliable. And when that happens, you know, I actually asked him in the in the locker room yesterday, "Do you know of any? Do you have an innings limitation? You know, based on how little that you threw last year, and you know you haven't really ever built up yourself up to like 150." inning pitch guy and his answer was well no i don't have an inning limitation but i also haven't talked to anybody about an innings limitation i like i just just arrived today i haven't had that conversation yet but i mean that could be the case too and 
especially that might be a special bummer given the fact that he might be headed to St. Paul early and some of those innings might not even be for the whatever whatever innings limits he might have might not even be for the Twins. I mean, for the Twins. He's sort of his own innings limit, right? I mean, <laughs> right. realistically, I think he's tw- he's either 26 or 27 years old. This will be his third major league season. Like you said, I mean, he part of the reason he he wasn't ever a top prospect right. was that he just threw 88 miles an hour at the time. Right. But another part of the reason was he would put up these exceptional kind of video game like numbers in single A, double A, and everyone would go, well, yeah, but I mean, he throws 88. So does the fact that he has 100 strikeouts and 11 walks really matter? And then beyond that, he, like you said, couldn't get past, you know, 80, 90, 100 innings in the low minors or even the high minors. Because he would just inevitably have groin injury, hamstring injury, you know, minor arm problems. Nothing, nothing crazy recently. I mean, he hasn't had surgeries or anything like that. But he's had a lot of what they call soft tissue problems, and he's also just six nine. Uh, that's a, right. That's a, I'll say about him what I say about me. That's a lot of body to keep healthy. Uh, <laughs> mine's more, you know. Uh, east west his is a little more north south <laughs> um, but you know what i mean it's just right. it's, a, it's a lot of muscles to right. to keep functioning and i guess with with ober my question with him isn't so much like is he healthy it's more can he stay healthy like i'm assuming right. he's healthy right now right of course whereas with with molly and maeda you know you you actually have to see can we kind of reestablish the baseline of health and velocity and performance right. with them. And then you have to keep them healthy. Whereas with Ober, it's like, I'm willing to believe he showed up in camp feeling, you know, 99% or whatever. Uh, it's just, does that matter with him? Or is he just kind of inevitably, you know, instead of missing one start with a hamstring problem, he'll miss four starts with a hamstring problem or whatever. Because like you said, I mean, right now on paper, he's their sixth starter. He's their, not least experienced because he has a little more experience than Joe Ryan, but I think Joe Ryan has certainly done more to earn a spot if it comes down to it. And sure. Ober has a minor league option remaining, which means right. he can literally be sent to AAA. So yeah, you, I mean, you talked to him about this uh, two days ago and we, we discussed it on the Patreon, but like if all six of their quality starters make it through spring training without any incident from a health standpoint and, and none of them just get their brains beat in on the mound, I would probably bet on on Ober going to triple, and then you're yeah, saying I mean, yourself, yeah, I mean, he he could look like an absolute star here in spring right. training and still be the odd person out just because he's the one with the option. They're not gonna, you know, yeah. Know, the rest of them are healthy and seem to be fairly reliable. It, he might still be the odd man out. So, although I I do wonder, like, if he is so like, let's say say he has the spring training of his life, which would be great. Is there sort of a threshold for performance that even if all six starters are healthy, they either just say, look, we can't sign him to AAA. He was our best <laughs> pitcher for a month and a half. So are we either going to begin the year with a six-man rotation, which they seemed less inclined to do, uh, or could he just be in the bullpen I mean, for a this while? Is, this is obviously purely speculative on my part, but I would say absolutely not. <laughs> I, I, the, the, there's, nothing, the, there's nothing to indicate from this management team, right? That they're right. going to give up on one of their major assets to, to uh, let Bailey over who, you know, make the team as a, either as a starter, right? Which is one thing. And then also 
they're not even going to do, they're not going to bring him in as a reliever. They want him. If, if he looks good as a starter in spring training, they're going to send him down to St. Paul to look good as a starter in May. When sure. somebody when somebody is inevitably hurt, they're not going to screw around with him in the bullpen. I agree. That's most likely, but it's easy to say before he potentially has a great spring. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. But right. also to your point <laughs> no, of true. they don't want to they don't want to give up a great asset. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll see how the bullpen shakes out. Right. A couple yeah, of relievers get true. hurt, and all well, you're giving up well, is Trevor well, McGill or whatever. It let me let me let me then piggyback onto uh, we can. Okay. Uh, that is going to be my. So that's my, my number record. one. Was that is also the your health, first is one? the health of the rotation? Yeah, health yeah. of the rotation is, is on my list. <laughs> yeah, that is what. Which my... let me just add in before we move on to the your number one or number two. You know the guys that we're not focusing on here from a health st- standpoint. There are three other guys. You know, there's there's Molly, Maeda, and Ober, but there's a, Joe Ryan has no health issues whatsoever, and then that's it basically. Uh, Sonny Gray had three different stints where he missed time with a hamstring problem last year and is also just 33 and has not been the most durable pitcher over the course of his career. He's been very good, but he's more of a 130, 150 inning guy. Uh, So he's someone to watch. Although I do think last year, the abbreviated spring and the late start and the lockout kind of screwed him up a little bit. Um, And then Pablo Lopez, who we've talked a lot about over the last month or so, but he threw 180 innings last year and he made 32 starts last year, both of which would have led the twins, both of which were by far his career high, but he also has a history of shoulder problems and he's healthy now. And he's coming off a season where he took a full workload and he didn't miss any time and anything like that. But two years ago, he missed time three years ago. He missed time. And, and that looming over him, you know, was part of setting the, the acquisition price for him. In other words, if he hadn't have had any shoulder problems in his past, the asking price for them from the Marlins probably would have been higher. So even, you know, you've got Molly and Maeda, who to me have big questions that need to be answered from a health standpoint. You have Ober, who has some questions that need to be answered from a health standpoint. Then you have Gray, who's like, well, we just got to keep him healthy because he's, you know, that's just his track record. And then you have Lopez, who's like, well, we'd love it if he just is past his shoulder problems, but we kind of have to find that out too. So almost every spot in the entire rotation could be counted on this. So yeah, my, my number one, I've included, I guess, six guys or five guys. Joe, <laughs> Ryan, Joe Ryan's healthy. <laughs> no, I, 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 I am very interested to watch how the rotation com- comes together. I'm also just sort of a little interested in, you know, specifically, you know, how often, you know, uh, do they, do the twins mess it around with, you know, Pablo Lopez now that he's here and, you know, do, does he switch up his, uh, how off how often he's going to be using his change up versus you know his curveball is he going to be relying more on the third pitch? So I'm not sure that we're going to get a good sense of that during spring training. I think that's something that we're more going to get a sense of during the actual season. But I am just kind of looking forward to seeing all of these guys and how they work things. So no, uh, you mentioned the uh, the bullpen and whether or not uh, you know some of the guys that we have slated for you know possibly a starting rotation in St. Paul. <laughs> It would end up in uh, the bullpen right here. And that's one of my questions is uh, what does the back end of this bullpen look like? You know, because right now, right now, as I take a look at the 40 man roster, uh, you know, we're going to have an eight person bullpen. Right. And right. as I take a look at the 40 man roster, I see basically eight names on there that I have slated to be in the majors and be in the bullpen. And I don't have more than eight names. I don't have, uh, you know, but and that doesn't include things like, Cole Sands, who uh, you know, we have slated for St. Paul, 
your uh, guy, Cole Sands, my guy, Cole Sands, right. <laughs> or Ronnie Enriquez, or, you know, whatever. Can, basically we've got sort of the six guys that we feel like we can count on. And you know, one of them is Alcala, who's still coming back from an injury, right. He's going to face some limitations early on. We'll see. And then you've got uh, the, the other two that I, I think we just are kind of presuming are going to be on there are Miguel and Moran. And I'm just kind of wondering if we're going to see that of, of all the places where there's going to be, you know, some sort of spring training battle, that seems like that's the one that's going to be there. The rest of them, I it feels to me, are more or less decided. It's good. You've got a clear inside person and right. a clear outside person. And I'm wondering if those two, if, if the bullpen also matches that. Do we have a clear insiders and clear outsiders? Like, is it going to be those eight guys? Is it going to be, you know, Duran and uh, Lopez and Theobar and uh, uh, Pagan and Jax and, and, you know, and then the other two guys are going to be Miguel and Moran, or are we going to actually see an alcohol? So we're going to see a non-roster invitee and alcohol, right? Uh, Are we going to see a non-roster invitee challenge that? Are we going to see some of the guys that they were slated for St. Paul challenge that we'll see. I mean, I'll predict this. The, you eight, you listed eight relievers, right? Duran Lopez, Jack Steelbar, Alcala, Moran, uh, Miguel Pagan. Um, that's how I. Those are the in some order the right. top eight of yep. a depth chart. If I were to put together yep. a depth chart, here's my prediction: that will not be the bullpen that begins. <laughs> okay, all know. right. Or whatever reason, how many how many how many names from that list will are hmm. guaranteed say, will be there? I put at least six, six, right? Six and a half is the over under out of those. <laughs> okay, eight. okay. Right. Just be, I mean, look, how many, I think I take the over, but I'm not sure I would That'd be an interesting, but, um, I do agree that it's, I don't want to say locked in, but it's like, it's f- more, more fully formed than right. a lot of recent twins bullpens. Because at this point in a lot of Springs, we're like, Oh, there's three spots for nine guys competing right. for three. And they just, they're going through NRIs. They're going through prospects. I mean, there's just random, random guys. I, I do think that they have eight guys that you can kind of give a, at least a half step above that and three or four guys who are cl- well clear of that competition level. Um, but, you know, Alcala needs to answer, like you said, health question marks for sure. Yeah. He hasn't pitched since like mid April of last year. Not to I mention think, he's got to, you know, not just get healthy. He's also going to be effective. You know, like, right. You know, we, we, we did see him felt like he started to turn a corner in uh, towards the end of 2021, where he's finally able to locate that change up a little bit and, you know, showed some flashes of what he could be. But, you know, if he's, you know, if he's just healthy and he's not particularly effective yet, then maybe right. you, we'll, we'll see him, but we'll see him in May after he spent some time in, in St. Paul. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, because injuries become such the talking point on players, it, you almost are like, well, if Elko is healthy, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, we're not talking about prime Mariano Rivera here. Like, he, <laughs> he still has a lot to prove, even setting aside the the injury question marks. I mean, that's true of a lot of guys right. that we're going to talk about today. It's like there, there's this thing where in your head you go like, well, if he's healthy, like Alex Kirloff, who I'm sure we're going to talk about in a minute. Yep. It's, well, if Kirloff's healthy, well, I mean, yeah, Kirloff, what does he have, 80 good at-bats in the majors at this point? There's also just a, like, you need to, if you're Alcala, like, I do think Alcala, if healthy, will be a good reliever. But it's not like we have, you know, seven years of that. I think uh Giovanni Moran, who I'm I'm I think we're both pretty big fans of. I'm I was a believer in the second half of last year that they did themselves and him a disservice by not simply calling him up and letting him stay 
in the bullpen for two or three months at a time. I think they kept well, and especially calling... when the, and especially when they you were using him as a long reliever, right? You know, I I just think he is not he's he's too good and too promising and still young enough that you don't need to treat him like a Jarrell Cotton, a, you know, a journeyman veteran, you know, Juan Mania type or something like that. And so my assumption is, given just how overpoweringly good he was when given a chance in the second half of last year, I think he finished with like 40 innings or something like that. Uh, my assumption this whole offseason has been, well, yeah, that he's he's in the he's in the bullpen. They want to see what he can do for 65 innings or 70 innings as the second lefty to field bar and all that, but that's not locked in. I mean, right. if he has a bad camp or misses a couple of weeks with a hamstring strain or something like that, he's got minor league options. He's sure. hardly an established veteran who can't be sent down. And I think, you know, I'm not a huge Trevor McGill fan. I mean, certainly you watch <laughs> him throw 98 or whatever right. with a good curveball, and it's easy to see. It's easy to envision how he Potential, can be a, right. a, yeah, a really effective reliever, but, you know, he struggles to consistently throw strikes. He's older. He's not a prospect. I mean, he's closer to 30 than he is, I think, even 25. He wasn't, he was very good at times last year, but by the time in the second half when they really needed him to step forward from kind of a middle relief, low leverage role into a medium or high leverage role, I mean, he really had some ugly outings. Right. Um, where he, he just gets hit much harder than you would expect someone with his ability or his raw stuff to get hit. And so I would put him certainly eighth it, out of it, eight. It feels it feels like he hasn't quite figured out the mix. You know, right. the, like the, the he's got the stuff, it's just the craft that he needs to continue to work on. So I don't know. Yeah, and and, and he's twenty nine. And so he by the way, Trevor McGill is twenty nine years old. And he has 68 career innings in the majors with a 603 ERA, some with the Cubs, some with the Twins last yeah, year. Yeah. And so I think they like Trevor McGill. I think they wouldn't have kept him on the 40 man roster if they didn't have, you know, a probable plan to have him in the in the bullpen to begin the season. But, you know, if you're pointing, if you're setting it at six and a half as an over under of how many of those eight are on the opening day roster, I think McGill is definitely, you know, on the fence for that. So, yeah, to your point of like, how is this thing going to shake out? I mean, I think there are three guys that you can point to who are, for various reasons, you know, Moran, Alcala, and McGill, I think are definitely not a sure thing. So I guess in my mind, if you have three kind of 50-50 guys, yep. that yep. equals, you know, an over-under of six and a half out of eight. <laughs> One to two spots might be stolen right. stolen away by somebody else. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I And I'll tell you, just, I mean, maybe this is going to get into one of yours, but I don't just don't see any other roster battles. I don't see many. I don't see many roster battles on that we're going to be able to talk about in spring training. Right. I don't know that we're going to be able to talk about the bench much. I don't think we're going to be able to talk about. We just talked about the starting rotation. I don't see that as as a roster battle situation. It's just is everybody healthy? If they are, then we know what we're, what we're doing, right? Yeah. Uh, with with you know with the bench, I don't see any roster battles. With the lineup, potentially you see a roster battle, maybe for the. You know, two out of the three of Kirilov, Larnick, and uh, Walner end up going, but I think there's pretty clearly who the two inside horses are on that, and who the outside horse is. So, right. uh, who the dark horse is. So, I, I mean, I just don't. I, it's going to be in that way. There isn't. I don't think there's a lot of uh, a lot of drama around you know performance or you know uh, poking around like who who looks good. Uh, you know, unless we get some injuries, we're not we're not right. going to have a lot of uh, a lot of question marks heading into this heading into the into spring training yeah i think that's right i mean i think 
yeah, it's not going to be like, oh, who outperformed whom to win this last bench spot or something like that. I think injuries are going to basically answer a lot of these questions for them, yeah. you know, good or bad. And, you know, it's also possible there's a trade or something like that. But, yeah, I do think the the last couple of, you know, two, maybe three spots in the bullpen, I definitely think are up for grabs. I also just think, you know, to to look at the bullpen big picture, you know, this has the potential to be a really good bullpen. I think, you know, if you look at, like, projections on, you know, baseball prospectus or fan graphs right. or something like that, it does project to be one of the better on-paper bullpens in the league. And, you know, we saw last year that if you kind of compartmentalize uh, Emilio Pagan from everyone else, it was one of the, <laughs> right. the better. Yeah. But a lot of that is just Duran continuing to be just an absolute monster for 70 innings. Right. Uh, you know, he was himself like a top five bullpen. Like right. if yeah. you just give him even a below average uh, supporting cast, I mean, he led the American League, I think, in, in win probability added for relievers. And so I'm not saying he's going to not be great, but, you know, he's a rookie. He's got 65 right. career innings or whatever. Right. And then even beyond that, you know, I have a, a relative, relatively a lot of confidence. In, in, I think Jax is for real what we saw last year. I think Thielbar is for real what we've seen the last two or three years from him. But Thielbar's 35. Right. And Jax has, again, 60 innings of relief work in his entire career. So, right. you know, those are hardly... Uh, you know, locked in, and then the the biggest bullpen question for me, other than Pagan, which I'm still trying to not obsess about. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you mentioned the three guys you weren't sure about, and I was like, oh, I thought maybe we might want to throw Pagan yeah. in there as well. I don't know that he can have as you know a camp so bad that he ends up not making the team, but I suppose. <laughs> hey, let's let's not find out, huh? <laughs> uh, but but Jorge Lopez is to me the biggest X factor here because right the, they acquired him and gave up a good prospect in Cade Povich, lefty, that they sent to the Orioles at the trade deadline. They acquired him not for last year. I mean, they wanted him for last year, but for two more years, uh, this year and next year, under con- under team control. But right. he just didn't throw strikes last year, and then when he did, he gave up too much contact. And his track record is essentially like five years of terrible pitching as a starter after being a top prospect and then moved to the bullpen and was an all-star immediately and then got traded to the twins and wasn't good. And so there's so much reason for skepticism with him. And if you, if you are not getting, you know, I'm not saying they're expecting him to be the guy with a one and a half ERA, like he was for the Orioles. Cause that was going to come back down to earth no matter what. But if he's a setup caliber reliever for them, like they expect and hope, then a lot of things just kind of line up well behind that. You have him right. either closing or pitching set up in front of Duran, who's closing, and then you have Jackson Thielbar as your seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth guys, uh, and then you don't need to rely on, let's say, Pagan as a seventh inning guy right away. You can ease Alcala in, all those things. But if you don't have Lopez, you know, if Lopez continues to struggle and you have to begin the season with him in a middle relief role or in a mop-up role, which is where he was kind of relegated to after a while last season, well, then that changes quite a bit. Then I don't know that your bullpen is something you feel all that good about. So, yeah, I think between the two or three spots that are in some you know competition and Elko's injury and also just the Pagan and Lopez factor of what, what version of this guy are we getting, right. I do think like the bullpen itself, there are more kind of 
plot points or questions to be answered than the rest of the roster combined. Probably. I mean, the the spread on where this bullpen could be is anywhere from elite, right, to below average. Yeah, I think that's right. And <laughs> I mean, I I like the upside of it, uh, but yeah, there's there's plenty of question marks to go around. So. Okay, so well, yeah, that was one of mine. The bullpen, I had that third. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'll say the one I had second, which is you know, lineup injuries. These are all sort of similar, obviously. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I grouped them together kind of like we did with the rotation. But, you know, the biggest one to me, and I might point to this, other than maybe Mally, but other than Mally, I think Alex Kirloff is, you know, the biggest, the widest spectrum of kind of where this team could go based on one player, which is, you know, Alex Kirilov has missed the majority right. of the past two seasons with a significant wrist problems and has had back-to-back season-ending surgeries and even now is at in camp and feeling pretty good but still has some pain and is still, you know, taking it easy on the workload in terms of swings per day and all that stuff but we've seen in the in the brief windows we've seen where he's been even sort of healthy. Uh I mean, he's just the potentially a great hitter. I mean, he is an all-around, you know, kind of prototypical number three hitter, which is just a controls the strike zone, doesn't strike out a, a lot, just a pretty visually pretty left-handed swing that's got some uppercut to it and has some some added some power to it. I mean, if you, I think if he wouldn't have had the wrist problems the past two years, we'd be sitting here right now saying. Well, the guy we don't have to worry about is Kirilov. He's your number three hitter. He's <laughs> right. you know going to hit two ninety with twenty five homers and maybe take another leap forward. Instead, it's like, well, okay, is he healthy at all? Will he even be on the opening day roster, or will he start the season in extended spring or on the injured list or whatever? And then from that point, what version of him are you going to get? Is it going to be a guy who is still kind of feeling his way through a twice surgically repaired wrist and maybe starts out as your seven hitter or something like that? Right. Yeah platoon player maybe he's taking days off or does he just show up to spring training and maybe two weeks from now jumps into the game action and, and is just looking like he did as a top 25 right. global prospect in which you in, in which case all of a sudden you're looking at that lineup and you're going oh wow well we, you've we, got kirloff well, you know after or between you know correa and buxton right and that takes on a completely different look so i feel like kirloff you know if we're if we're ranking not necessarily most valuable players, but like the players pivot players. Yeah, like where the the tenth percentile the season and the, pivots and the ninetieth yeah. percentile are the widest. I think Kirilov is is definitely the biggest one. So we should just mention to people who aren't on the Patreon. We talked a little bit about this on uh, Wednesday, but Kirilov is a little limited coming into spring training in, in that they just want to make sure that he doesn't overdo his swinging basically early that right. the, they're, they're going to be sensitive about the volume of his swings. I think is how the way it was explained uh, early on uh, that I, I don't think anybody suggests that doesn't mean he should not be ready for uh, opening day based, you know, from a health perspective, just means they're going to be trying maybe ramping him up a little slower on that, at least in, you know, batting cage drills and that sort of thing. And I, I don't know what it means in terms of, you know, when we might see him in a game. Um, right. I, I had a similar question, but I my my similar topic, but mine was just a little bit different. It was Kirilov and Larnik, and okay. and and you know both of them have some similarities, right? Uh, both are the left-handers. They both have coming off of two years of injuries, essentially, right? 
here's what is interesting to me about that. The Twins are counting on them to hold down the two most replaceable positions on the field and thrive at them. Wow, you're saying right? they, like the the two places where the 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 acceptable bar for offense is the highest base. Correct. Yeah, that's a that's a good way uh, that's a good way to put it, right? That that first base engagement, but also the the um the spots where if they don't work out um you can find you can find other stuff. Right. Right. I mean, you certain first of all, there's still free agents out there that are, you know, some have, you know, a track record uh, that you know, exceeds the track record right now of Kirilov and, and Larnick. Not that I would necessarily trust them going forward more. Right. Right. It also means, you know, at the trade deadline, uh, if they want to go and find something like that's, you know, finding a good bat is something you can right. find at the at the trade deadline. That That's a simple enough thing to do. So they not only have to. They not only have to be, you know, stay healthy. They not only have to perform. They almost have to perform it. They can't. They can't kind of hit, <laughs> right? They've got. They've got to hit. And also, we just mentioned internally. There's options there as well, right? Like you've got, uh, you've got Walner, who we saw last year. You've got, you know, other guys coming up behind them. You also um, just have Miranda, who could be shifted back to first base or yeah, GH. and and you know, and by then you know maybe Brooks Lee can be. Uh, Brooks Lee can be taking over third base or, you know, Royce Lewis gets healthy again, or Austin right. Martin has a breakthrough year or, uh, Ed Julian, uh, ends up, uh, ends up <laughs> stepping, shining in AAA the way, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of wondering he might do. Right. So they not only have to stay healthy, they not only have to perform, but they, and, and they, we should also, they also have the potential to be really, really good, like to hit well enough to be a first baseman slash DH that asset right. uh, in major league baseball for years to have a long career. Right. So the, I, I'm just fascinated by the spread and the challenges that they have. It's a very unique kind of challenge. These are, these guys weren't, these guys weren't supposed to be first baseman and DH necessarily. They were supposed to hit. They're supposed to be a corner outfield. The corner outfield spots are taken right now, at least. So, yeah, no, I agree. I, I had, you know, number two item, just lineup health. And I had Kirloff number one. I had Larnick on that list. And then obviously Buxton and to some extent Polanco. I also listed two. We talked about Polanco on the Patreon, but uh, you know, there isn't Buxton's not even camp yet, or if he is, he just got there today, but um, you know, he's healthy, but coming off knee surgery, coming off six months, essentially spent, in the trainer's room just to prepare himself right. to play, you know, two thirds of the twins games or whatever it ended up being 90 something games, I think. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I don't know that there's going to ever be a spring or has ever been a spring when Byron Buxton is not some level of question mark from a health standpoint. <laughs> right, yeah. He's always and, been in this, on this top five list. I mean, not just, not just from the health standpoint, right. but also from the like, what are we going to get from Buxton this year's standpoint? Or what are we, you know, where right. are they going to bat Buxton this year's standpoint? Or And know? I mean, you know, well, I do think like Kirilov has the widest spectrum of like, he could either not take an at bat for the twins this year, or he could be, you know, their third best player. Obviously Buxton in terms of upside is as high as anybody in the entire world right now. Right. Uh, or he could miss, you know, half the games again or, or more or whatever. I think, you know, all indicate, I mean, we'll know better three days from now, but all indications are that he is healthy for Byron Buxton standards. Now that knee 
it might not be something that just was fixed, you know, quote unquote. It might be something that feels significantly better than it did last season, and the specific problem has been addressed. But you know, I don't know that he's not gonna. I don't know that he's free from from knee issues or having to or hip or, issues or whatever. Right? Yeah, or uh, having to manage that to to be in the lineup. Now, you know, what does that mean? I think part of the 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 value of getting someone like Michael Turner or Michael Taylor, excuse me, is they they finally have in place a veteran fourth outfielder who, whether Buxton misses 25 games or 125 games, can step into the lineup and provide similarly excellent defense. Now, the offense isn't going to be anywhere close, but that you're not kind of sent scrambling every time Buxton misses more than a few games. And you're not going to see Jake Cave out there. You're not going to just see Celestino out there way before he was ready. And so hopefully, you know, whether you're expecting Buxton to play half the games or two thirds of the games or or whatever your expectation is, I think having Taylor at least needs to be kind of factored into that. But yeah, I mean, to me, the rotation questions that we went over are the biggest thing. The second biggest thing to me is just what's the status of Kirilov and Buxton and Larnick and to some extent Polanco, because I mean, those are four of, if, if everything goes right, those are four of your top, I don't know, (laughs) six hitters. Basically, in a lineup, in a good lineup, um, I I grouped Kirloff and Larnick together as one because you know not just not just the health questions, everything else. I also grouped Buxton and Polanco together as another one of mine uh, because you're talking about two veterans who you know really they're counted on to be the middle of this lineup. Like you got Correa, we're all excited that Correa is there. If Buxton and Polanco aren't healthy, Correa's by himself, uh, maybe with Miranda. We'll see, right? Which may be another good question. But that's my um, that's my next one on my list. Uh, okay, Is well, it? we'll get into that. One. But my my Buxton and Polanco. So you've got two veterans who both ended the season hurt, and both have injury histories. And I think we will have a sense within the first week or two of spring training whether or not they are past last year's injuries. Right. That doesn't mean that they can't have new injuries this year, right? Now, new things to deal with. But if either of those, either of those two come back in and they don't look a hundred percent, this team looks vastly different to me in terms yeah. of, in terms of what I can expect from them offensively this year. So, yeah, I agree. Um, wait, so who's, am I saying another one or are you saying? Yeah, you another? go ahead go ahead. You hit Miranda. You already touched on Miranda. Yeah. Let's do that so one. Miranda have you seen Miranda? Does he indeed look sexy as Carlos Correa? <laughs> yeah, I have seen Miranda. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, it's all I could do to stop hitting at him. Yeah. Did you do? Did you do um, <laughs> the old radio hands on a hard body? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I did have not. Seen, have you ever seen that? I don't you know, know what that is. Well, it sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> it it was, does sound great. I think this was like a '90s thing, but I remember like local local radio stations, maybe even Howard Stern, would like bring a woman in. And she would like sit on a car, like lay down on a car. Okay. And the idea was like 10 people would put their hand somewhere on her. And the last one still with their hand on her would win the car. <laughs> so it was like endurance, okay. but also creepy. Cause it was like a woman in a bikini yeah. probably. Right. So yeah, it was, hand, it was called, I just remember maybe this was hard stern. It was called hands on a hard body. And, How you many know, days a, would this last? Oh, mu- multiple days. Like, 
would they have to be there eight hours a day or would oh they no they, they're 24 hours a day yeah 24 hours a day yeah did she it's, get a uh, break yeah, that's a good question unclear <laughs> maybe okay. she just yeah i don't know anyway 11 year old me was like that's an amazing name it's for gotta contact. be stern because i don't know anything about it <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, John put his hands on Jose Miranda. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, Jose Miranda. He looked good on that car, though. I got to tell you. <laughs> what, kind, yeah, what kind of car was it? What kind of rental did you get? I got a Camry. Oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah, kind of, a, kind of a, a dull one this time. There was, wasn't a great selection, and I didn't want to go get a big truck. I feel no, stupid that, driving a truck. I wanted a like a, a Rolls Royce or a Maybach, but it, the athletic cap the spending <laughs> so i couldn't do that so i think i have like a honda i got a sensible camera is what i got that's what i got too i think yep. uh so yeah jose miranda um you know let's not talk about him as if he was uh some big fatso uh in the first <laughs> place but there was a sense i think last year his first full year um in the majors and he felt like he wore down a little bit physically in September. He was so good in the in the in the summer months. He started very slow. He briefly gets demoted. He comes right back up, and then he was just on fire, you know, for two or three months there. And then in September, once he was kind of getting an opportunity to be an everyday player at that point in the middle of the lineup, often he he faded a little bit. Not terrible, but he faded a little bit. And so I know Correa talked to him about this a lot, and they I think worked out together in the off season. And Miranda just made it a priority to get into better shape physically, lose some pounds. Uh, it sounds like, you know, increased flexibility and in, in conditioning in general. And then also with an eye on moving back full ish time to third base, which was his position throughout the minors. I mean, he was right. drafted yes. as a shortstop because right. everybody yeah. gets drafted as a shortstop, but he played some second base in the minors, played some short, but he was mostly a third baseman in the minors. And, you know, he didn't look good at first base. I don't know that that necessarily means he's incapable of playing third base. I think a lot of the stuff that we saw from him at first base was just a guy who didn't quite know what he was doing. At <laughs> right, first base. Yeah, right. Because he had um, not played much first base. Right. He had right. taken kind of a crash course at triple at A at third base or at first base, excuse me. But yeah, I mean, he's got, I think I looked, he has like almost 2000 career innings at third base and, you know, playing a position a lot doesn't mean you're good at it, obviously, but it does mean, you know, where to go and how to react to just sort of random plays that happen to a third baseman more so right. than you would at first base. So I think that's part of the hope with Miranda. And then also they're hoping that he's in better shape and he's got a little bit more, you know, quick twitch to him. You know, his first step might be a little quicker or he might be able to have a little bit more range and all that, which is going to be essential at third base. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think Miranda overall is super interesting to me because he's he's shown clearly that if things go well for him, he can be a middle of the order right-handed power hitting bat for years to come. But the question is, a is there kind of a one more step to him offensively than what we saw last year, or is he just sort of a good you know twenty homer two eighty type of hitter, which would be right. fine. Right. I mean, they yep. take that, or is there you know is there Especially more power? Base. Right. But is there like, you know, most rookies, you would say, all right, well, if they had a 120 OPS as a rookie, you would expect them to at some point get to 130, let's say, or something right. like that. Is that in the cards for Miranda? And then beyond that, where is he going to play defensively? Because that's key. Because as we talk about all these guys like Kirloff and Larnick and Walner and everybody coming up, 
playing Miranda, being able to play Miranda at third base keeps first base and DH open for those other guys. Whereas if you move Miranda to first base or DH primarily, yes, he's still in the lineup that hasn't changed, but then all of a sudden you, you have to remove Kirloff or Larnick or Walner or whoever from the lineup because you don't have those same two spots and you have to find a third baseman. And right. so, which is probably like right now, Kyle Farmer or maybe right. Nick Gordon, right? It's right. just right. And so, yeah, that's why I think Miranda is a a really interesting guy to watch. He's also just I'm glad to not be discussing an injury uh, to actually right. have it be <laughs> a question mark that isn't just is this guy oh, healthy? Jesus, I'm knocking on wood right now. Yeah, don't like go trip him in the hallway <laughs> after you get out of the. I, I'm picturing John opening the door to the room he's in. After we sign off from the podcast and like hitting Miranda in the face with the door or something like that. Now, after we've said this, but don't do that. Um, but yeah, the, the, just just the transition to third base is, is kind of interesting. I, I personally don't think he's going to be a good third baseman, but I do think he can be a acceptable third baseman for a year or two or three. I think he can be a third baseman where you don't think of him as bad. You just go, yeah, yeah, he's OK over there. He he. He doesn't make every play, but he makes most plays. And I think it's key, like like I just said, to to have that, even if he's not great over at third, to add flexibility to the rest of the lineup. I, I've also talked to, for instance, Roy Smalley, who has played slightly more infield in the major leagues than me, uh, say he thinks Jose Miranda is going to be a really good third baseman. He's convinced that three years from now, we're going to be talking about Miranda as maybe not a gold glover, but a, a guy that's well above average. And there are people in the twins organization who, who feel the same way. And so I'm very curious to see, you know, the, this new in better shape, Miranda, what does it look like just from a, a speed standpoint, a range standpoint, third base, what can he do offensively? Is he already kind of established as a core player at this point, or do we still need to see maybe some more growing pains till he gets there? So, yeah, I think that's, that's the one, the non-injury one that I have the highest on on my list. I, uh, <laughs> because I haven't had a chance to talk to Miranda yet. I'm looking forward to it, but I did do a little research on, uh, you know, his, how much he had played third base in the minors, how much he had played first yeah. base and such in the minors. And <laughs> you, you just talked about, you know, I'm, I'll be interested to see the transition to third base. That's not the transition, right? The transition was last year trying yeah. to play first base last year at first base. He had twice as many innings as he had had his entire minor league career, like six years in the minors. He had more innings at first base that first year in the majors than he had had his entire time in the minors. He had less innings at first base in the minors than he had at shortstop in the minors. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I mean, he just, he didn't play first base period. You know, so judging how he did and, and literally he played, you know, like seven times more at third base than he did played at first base and five, five or six times more at second base than he did first base. First base is one of the places he played least in the, in the minors throughout his career. Right. So the, the idea that uh, I I think what we're going to, we're going to see where they thought his natural position was uh, this year. And I guess it's not surprising to me that they want to try that at least, you know, try, try that out and see how that goes. And, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably more optimistic about his ability to play that spot than I was. You know, it's, I think it's just hard for us having watched a guy struggle at the easiest position on the baseball field last year 
to wipe that from our minds and and give him the benefit of the doubt the fact that he's not played there at all right now yeah you know, we we did see him a little bit at third base last year he didn't look fantastic at third base i never once took a look and went um oh wow he's really what a there's brooks robinson over there you know i i didn't get that sense of watching him play third base but i also like when i thought of oh this guy got some learning to do i don't remember it ever happening at third base i remember it always being at first yeah you know I, I, mean, I mean t- to me First of all, I'm shocked that you are, in terms of opinion, siding with multi-time Major League <laughs> All-Star shortstop Royce Molly versus no-time Little League All-Star Aaron Gleeman. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think Miranda at third, to me, both what we saw and then just talking to people about him actually as he was coming up through the minors, I, th- I think the, the arm is going to be more stretched than the range. Okay, well, could be. Yeah, could be. Uh, I don't, th- like... You know, maybe he's improved his range even even more because he's gotten into better shape and everything. So that would be encouraging, obviously. But I just think to great third baseman, you know, someone like uh, Nolan Arenado or Matt Chapman or somebody like that, right. uh, or even Gary Gaetti going back into Twin City. These, I mean, for that matter, even Josh Donaldson. These dudes have a cannon. Like, right. and even Miguel Sano, who is not a great third baseman. But Miguel Sano could make plays at third base that Jose Miranda will never make at third base. Right. Like Miguel Sano would backhand a ball going into th- foul territory past the third base bag, and you'd think, well, there's no way he's getting the ball to first. And then he would just throw a 94-mile-an-hour P to first base and, and <laughs> nail the guy. And you'd right. go, oh, my God. Well, yeah, I mean, then there were five routine plays that he wouldn't make at third base. But I, I just think without a, like, you know, 80th percentile or higher throwing arm or arm strength at third base there's a there's kind of a cap to like yeah. certain plays that you can make and i think that's going to be a bigger issue than range with miranda i'm not saying he has a weak arm by any means i mean he has a good arm i mean look he 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 probably has like one of the thousand best throwing arms in the world right but and, and uh, in fact i mean he played third base throughout the minors they, you can't do that if you've right. got a weak arm right right, right. but there are going to be some plays and there were some plays last year where you know, he'll get to a ball, but he really needs to hurry and he kind of have to make an off balance throw or whatever. And, you know, the throw is just a half second short or he bounces it there or whatever. Right. And yeah. you don't, you don't see those plays and go, Oh wow, he really screwed up. Cause he didn't screw up, but right. his, his ceiling for that is a little bit lower with that said, I don't know that Gio Urshela had like an exceptional arm or anything like that, but well, he was so- just very, very smooth at third base. So that's what I'm, curious about with Miranda I well, think- and, and, and the fact that he also played a fair amount at second base might support that perception right you know what I mean that that you know if, if he's just got a cannon over at third base they're not screwing around with him at second base too often sure you know they, 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 they left that back door open for him and you usually when you would leave that back door open that back door is there because you're a little worried that he might not have the arm to, to compete at that level uh at third base so. right I mean just to just to be clear, I don't think he's a bad third baseman. I just think average might be his, you know, good case scenario, basically, which is fine. I mean, they would, gla- if you told the Twins today, Jose Miranda is going to play third base for only three years and he's going to be slightly below average defensively, they would gladly sign up for that. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Because a slightly below average defensive third baseman with his bat is, you know, a borderline all-star type of player. And as we've discussed now a billion times, it keeps first base open. It keeps DH open. 
Um, so yeah, they would go. And, and so I do think that's, that's very realistic as sort of an outcome for him, but he has to, he has to show that. Okay. Do you, what are you, what's your next one? Uh, my last one, cause I think we've hit all the rest of them. I only have are, one left, but are, uh, the shift. I want to okay. see the shift. In, uh, oh shoot. Actually, I'm going to change it to rule changes. Cause I want to see both the shift and I want to see the pitch clock. Okay. Um, I had both of those, both of those down as sort of my things. Uh, I want to see. Uh, you know, Jason Stark put out a, a story, I think, this week about, you know, what a S show <laughs> it could be in spring <laughs> training as people adjust to uh, the pitch clock. And, you yeah. know, how, but they, you know, baseball players, I'd like to test boundaries and they're going to be testing the boundaries early and it's going to be up to the umpires to actually uh, enforce something like this. Right. And we'll see if they actually do. Every other time we've tried to speed up the game, that's where it's fallen down. Right. As ultimately, had trouble kind of getting the enforcement to be there. Uh, I will be interested to see if people are pushing back for that. And I'll be interested to see just to experience. I, I did. I mean, I went to a few different AAA games last year to experience my experience overall was that I didn't really notice it. What I didn't, but I also didn't notice when there was 45 seconds in between a pitch, which is I, which I would experience when I was in a major league baseball game, right. you know, about I would, I would get to the fourth inning and it'd be like, or, you know, fifth inning, some critical piece. And I'd be like, why, how many? And then I'd start timing it. I'm like, this seems to be going really slow, and it'd be 45 seconds or a minute yeah. between pitches, and you're which like, is just a killer. It's just, yeah, right. No, I agree. And 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 at the end of the end of the time, I'm like, yeah, I didn't really notice that the, that we had a pitch clock, and I did notice that uh, I'm out of here uh, 20 minutes earlier than I right. normally am. Yeah, I mean, um, I so think, that's one. That's I think one. I'm sorry. The pitch, the pitch clock. There's the shift, obviously. Right, which we've talked a lot about all right. season. I feel yep. like there's the they unveiled all the bases, the new bases yesterday, right. the day before. Yep. I'm looking at the slightly larger bases right now. It was really funny because <laughs> so every beat writer who was there took a there, you know, they unveiled them on the third baseline or whatever, and everybody took their little iPhone photos and posted them on Twitter. And yeah. then somebody, I forget who it was, but a a parody account or whatever, took those photos and then shrunk down the old base and increase the size of the new base, but in a way that was not like completely obvious. Right. And just tweeted it as news. Like here are the new bases. And people were like, Oh my God, the new base is like twice as big. And I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, it's I was, notice- I was, I, it's I was noticeable, a- but it's nothing. It's not that crazy. Right. I was at opening day last year for the saints and they had, uh, they had the new larger bases in triple a last year. And uh, I think it was opening day before the game. They had, on each of the bases, like it was like one yard by one yard, <laughs> these enormous right. bases right. around them. Like, yeah, we're really excited about trying the new bases, and then they go and pick them yeah. up and put them. Yeah, there. yeah, right. I it mean, I, it's kind of like the shift, right? I mean, we've talked a lot about this. I'm very curious right. to see. Uh, this is a good one that you I, picked. I, I didn't think to put this on the list, so it's good you did. But like, I genuinely generally believe that the impact of the shift limitations and let's be clear they're not eliminating the shift they're mm-hmm. limiting the shift it's we're going to right. see you may see as many shifts they will just not be as extreme as they right. were they will be right. more like shifts were 10 years ago which there's still plenty of shifts um i genuinely genuinely generally jesus why do i keep saying that uh think that the the expectation there is overblown i don't think the impact will be as big as everyone is kind of assuming and I think it's sort of similar with the bases. Like I think in people's heads, they're like, 
oh man, they put like it's like bumper bowling versus regular bowling or something <laughs> right, like that. Like right, it's just yeah. a completely different. No, it's like a guy's gonna get to the base with his foot or his finger, you know, a a tenth of a second earlier than he would have. Now, you do that every pitch for every game all season, and it will have an impact. I do think right. teams are going to run more. I do think you're going to see stolen base percentages go up across the league. But you know, is it going to go from 75% to 85%? No. I mean, it might go up two percentage points or something like that, because here's the other thing, you know, stolen base percentage is going to go up because they have less distance to travel between bases, obviously, except if everyone knows that it's not like they're unaware that the, the, the dimensions have changed. And so you're going to see teams attempt more steals, which means you're attempting more steals that are not in ideal circumstances and or you're allowing or pushing players who normally wouldn't attempt as many steals to do so. You know, you're asking Max Kepler to attempt 10 steals instead of five steals. Well, those aren't necessarily the highest or, you know, Jorge Polanco might try 15 instead of 12 or something like that. Those aren't necessarily the highest percentage opportunities. And so you, you're going to see the league wide percentage go up, but I actually think it's part of it is going to then be dragged back down a little bit because the caliber of player attempting steals is going to be lower. Well, that's probably true. Yeah. They're more, it's more of a just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, thrilled, I'm thrilled to see more of a running game period. Oh, I agree. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. I, I completely agree. So yeah, running more shifting pitch clock. Um, there was one other one. What else? My, uh, a ghost runner. Yeah. Well, that's, we've seen right. plenty. Uh, but yeah, I'm, uh, I think the pitch clock is going to be the biggest thing. I think the pitch clock is going to be the biggest thing in terms of, noticeability i guess i would say right and i think it's going to be the biggest thing early on because pitchers are going to hate it and so I'm, we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to be interested in watching the shift i'm going to be interested in watching the gallo and uh, kepler at bats i just see if they if that changes their approach at all like screw it <laughs> screw it. i mean kepler right. at least was nominally at least trying to go opposite field on a regular basis last year at least early if they're just like you know what screw it i'm just going to pull the ball as much as i want to see what happens uh, swing away yeah. on that stuff. I'm kind of interested to see if, if we can notice uh, different approaches during the at-bats in, in spring training this year. Yeah. I mean, you're also going to see, because the only, the limits that they've put in place are you have to have two infielders right. on each, each side of second right. base as right. the pitch is thrown. And part of that is they have to have both feet on the dirt, uh, before the pitch is thrown. So you can't like send a guy in motion, which I know initially a couple teams were talking about, like you kind of put your third baseman in motion and he runs into, you know, short right field by the time the pitch is delivered, they have to be kind of stationary relatively two guys on each side. Well, within that you can still put the first baseman guarding the line and put the second baseman in short right field. You just leave the middle of the field open, except you can move the shortstop to basically equal, you know, um, parallel the second base and you can move the third baseman to shortstop. I think most people looking at that type of arrangement are not going to see a huge difference between what they saw the last couple of years in, in shifting. Now there are a couple different holes and you're not quite covered as much on the right side uh, for left-handed hitters, but you can also, there's nothing I'm curious if this changes next year, but there's nothing stopping teams from bringing an outfielder in right, right. Going with a two man outfield, occasionally and just putting the outfielder in short right field to act well, the, as the a inter- shifted second baseman. Right. The interesting thing about that is where did the two outfielders play, right? Because right. what you end up doing, I think the thought process from a sabermetric 
perspective, I think the thought process would be, well, I mean, if he hits it real hard, he's going to hit it to right field over the the right fielder who's now playing basically like a deep second base, right? We we don't want it there, so we move our outfield, move our center fielder toward into right field, and we move our left fielder into right into center field, and we, we dare them to try and hit opposite field, you know, past uh, opposite field in the air to left, like they, they just can't do that. Well, that's interesting. So then you get a ground ball that somehow goes through the the left yeah. side of the infield because yep. you've got the shortstop shading over to second. You've got the you've got the second baseman way over and the third baseman gets past that third baseman. You've got an inside the park home run problem, right? Like that would be that was going to be fun, man. I think I think what I would do is like when a Kepler is at bat, a, a very strong pull side left handed hitter. I would definitely. Go to the most extreme shift you possibly can to defend him. I think I would put, I would bring in the left fielder probably. I mean, this depends on personnel a little bit, but I would bring in the left fielder and just have them play like basically short right. Deep second. Yeah. Yeah. Deep second. And then you could kind of play the third baseman. You could you could play him to pull plays, a little plays bit. like deep shortstop kind right, of right, but like deep close to the grass. Right. So yeah, that yeah, if yeah, you right. do kind of inside out a pitch, you know, right. to the opposite field, like a check swing, excuse me, swing. It's not an automatic <laughs> double then at that point because there's <laughs> right. at least yeah. a third baseman kind right. of over there. So I think right. that's how I would approach it. But yeah, to your point, I'm all for, you know, uh, kind of murky waters. Right. I'm all for blurred lines. I'm all for teams having to figure these things out on the fly because I I think that makes for interesting strategy. <laughs> and I think it like the the chaos well, of it or the uncertainty of it is. I love the case. One of the things you said, but the third baseman, remember, has to stay in the infield though, right? Right. So you can. But only, I mean, you can only shade so much to the outfield there. But yes, right. you could play back so that if something gets past him as shortstop over there, you know, he can turn and run hundred. I mean, my yards. I think the, the like track. I think if you just showed this to like a kid and said like, how should you put people? Right. The initial one would be just leave first, second, short, and third kind of in their normal spots and just bring one of the outfielders in and have them play. What's the position in softball? It's called like, it's between second base and center field. Yeah, yeah, right. I forget what it's called. Rover or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Except the the problem, so you could basically put the left fielder between the second base bag and where the center fielder is, essentially, something somewhere in there. And so if you hit a ball right up the middle, they're where a shifted shortstop has often been in the past five years. However, the problem with that is they'll get to the the ball, but then what's a left fielder going to do with it? Right. Like you brought you brought a left fielder who, by definition, have the worst usually the worst throwing arm in the outfield, and are not capable of being a cal- infield caliber throwing arm. They're going to field it behind the second base bag, and then what? Spin and throw a guy out at first base? Like that's not going to happen right. ever. Um, maybe Joey Gallo because he's played third base before could do that. But so anyway, I'm I'm very curious about that. Okay, so uh, I only have one more, and you're done, right? And so I'm can, done. Yeah, we can yeah. end on this. There's a lot of overlap. Okay, uh, my last one is uh, which prospects emerge. Uh, and I don't mean, I don't mean yeah, you know, emerge as a prospect. I mean this time last year, right? We weren't sure what the situation was with Duran or Winder, uh, Miranda, for that matter, and it ended up that and Royce Duran, Lewis, for that matter. Well, and Royce Lewis. Duran and Winder both made the, they made the team out of spring training as right. relievers. 
Right. And Duran obviously was their best pitcher all season and was incredible. I'm not expecting anybody to to reach those heights, but you also had Joe Ryan in the rotation all year as a rookie. Uh, and then, like we said, Miranda basically became a key right. cog of the lineup for yep. you know, the last, I don't know, four and a half months of the season or something like that. And so that's a lot of graduates from prospect dumb to majors. Like they really, it was lost because of all the injuries and everything, but to have Duran winder, Ryan and Miranda all kind of join the core winder to a less extent. Cause he's still sort of a question right. mark, but that, that is huge. Not only for last season, but just now, cause now we're talking about these guys. When we were talking about the rotation earlier, my, I was like, well, Ryan's the one I have the least questions about. Well, imagine that last year. Uh, so from the group that they have now in place, I think the most likely scenario is that one of the position player prospects emerges similar to like Miranda last year where they get a look. So there's some injury. There's some poor performance by a veteran come, you know, May or June. Someone like Walner gets called right, up. Yeah. Walner's the obvious one here, right? Right. Uh, yeah. someone maybe, like, maybe, maybe Julian. Right. I think. Royce Lewis would be that guy, except he's unlikely to be available because he's coming off torn ACL again until June or July at best. Uh, I think Brooks Lee is their yep. best prospect, yep. but Brooks Lee has played like thirty games above <laughs> college, right? Uh, and but but I mean, if he ended last year at Double A, yep. If he begins this year at Double A, which is not certain, but I'm guessing that'll be the case. I should ask somebody about that, but uh, you know. Once you get to double A, we've talked about this a lot. You can force the issue from double A. Um, you know, if he goes to double A to begin this year and he hits 350 for six weeks, oh, yeah, he's he'll at minimum be promoted to triple A, right? And once you're at triple A, I mean, he might get promoted from double A the majors if he does that. And so, you know, is Brooks Lee likely to be on this team in the first half? No, I mean, he's 21 years old, he just got drafted. I mean, that right. would be making the majors sooner than one calendar year from the point you were drafted. Right, right, yeah, right. So rarely happens. But I don't think it's impossible. I mean, if if someone gets hurt or someone needs to shift positions or someone just struggles or there's a trade, you know, I think Brooks Lee has a chance. I think Walner for sure. I think Julian for sure. I think Austin Martin is a guy who could they could plug in basically anywhere if he gets off to a decent start, I'm assuming at AAA, and then come midseason – they're hoping that Royce Lewis enters that mix. And so, the, and then the question with Royce Lewis is, do they kind of, do they treat him because of the back-to-back injuries? Do they treat him as a guy who's a major leaguer or do they treat him kind of like it was at this point last year where they send him to the minors and say, play yourself to the majors. Cause he's already done that. Right. Except does that slate get kind of wiped clean? I mean, he's already played, I don't know, six good weeks at AAA and then, 12 great games with the twins. Like, are they, has he banked that to the point that once he's healthy, he just goes back to the majors? I don't think or, so. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. But. I'll be shocked. I'll tell you, but, but here's what I like about this one. I think this is a really good one. I'm disappointed I didn't think about it. I like this. The twins have so many of their prospects so close to the majors. Yes. That, you know, what's your, and, and frankly, a lot of them, oddly enough, we haven't really seen. I haven't really paid any attention to Julian before this year right um and walner for that matter i mean even though he made it last year like he wasn't somebody i was watching closely in spring training last year and then brooks lee who wasn't even in the organization in spring training last year right like yep. so there's a there's a lot of great names there that are pretty close 
and uh, and we're going to get to see him, you know, pay attention for a lot of time. And I'll say uh, this as well. The second thing I like about this one, a World Baseball Classic is going to be taking a lot of time from a lot of people. And I think you're going to get a little more opportunity to see some of these guys. The fact that they are close to the majors means they are a little bit more likely to stick around. What happens a lot of the time with you know some of these top prospects is you see them for the first week and a half of games, and then they are sent down just to listen. Right. We're not we're not going to screw around with you or your hopes or you know all the speculation about keeping you on the roster to the end. You're not making it with the team right now. We're we're, we're you're slated for Wichita. You're slated for St. Paul, right? That's what we want you to be. But these guys are are close enough. I think they're going to stick around a little bit more in part, just to experience hanging out with the veterans and to, you know, get to know each other so that when they get called up, it's, you know, they already know who these guys are. And so I think we're going to be able to see them for a few extra weeks. I think the world baseball classic lends itself to that because you're going to have a few extra spots to be playing on that. And I think we're going to get a real chance to kind of get a sense for some of these guys' games. So I'm just, I'm I'm very excited about that one. Yeah, and I mean I think to your point that I wrote about this like in on my top forty list or whatever. Like I, the Twins don't have an upper echelon farm system, but what they do have is I think an average ish overall farm system. But what they do have is a, a handful of double A AA and triple A upper minors hitting prospects who, like you just said, are all. I think individually better than 50% to reach the majors this year. Maybe right. Lee is not, but I still think he will. Uh, you know, I, if I list off Lee, Lewis, Walner, Martin, Julian, that is potentially <laughs> five ninths of a long-term lineup for the twins in some, right. you know, fielding order. Uh, then think of the guys we just talked about Miranda, who's essentially a year removed from being a prospect Kirilov Larnick who are, you know, they're not technically prospects, but they might as well be in terms of what they have or haven't proven or, and all that stuff. And so you start to add those guys. Well, now I've just named eight guys. Now, I don't know how necessarily works defensively, but you know, those eight guys, the five prospects plus Kirilov and Larnick and Miranda, that's basically like, could be a long-term lineup from that group. Then you right. also have Buxton and Correa and some other guys that you're going to continue to build around, obviously. And so th- to me, it's like one of the things I enjoy most, and we've talked about this a lot, actually, because it's happened like two times, I feel like, since we've been doing the podcast, which is to watch kind of in real time how one core transitions into another core and who from the previous core you know, if you look at the twins, it was the the Buxton, Barrios, Sano, Kepler, Polanco, that Rosario, that group. To see now those guys are nearing 30, and some right. of them are already gone via free agency or trades or whatever. To see who from that core is then kind of the bridge to the next core. And obviously yep. it'll be it'll be Buxton who signed for six more years, and it could be Polanco, it could be, you know, whoever you want to point to on in that front. And then how many of the guys that we're kind of dreaming on here as prospects the guys we just mentioned on the hitting side how many of them will transition to kind of fill in the gaps left by the the old core guys leaving and then what you're left with hopefully is a lineup that a year from now or two years from now has brooks lee royce lewis matt walner austin martin but also carlos correa byron buxton jose miranda you know hopefully kirloff right and you know, some of that's not going to work out. Some of those guys are going to get hurt. Some of those guys are going to be traded. Some of those guys are going to be not as good as everyone thought and all that. But I do think this year has the potential to really be a blending of the last 
kind of vestiges of the previous core okay. bridging to the first real wave or the first real consistent contributions, which was started last year by like Miranda, but of, of the next core. And I think that's super interesting. And I also just think it gives them a lot of coverage. There's very few spots in the lineup right now that if you said the veteran that's there right now is going to get hurt, who replaces them? And if it happens in April, who knows? But if it happens in June, you got coverage all over the infield with Brooks Brooks yeah. Lee and Austin Martin and Julian. Yeah. And you got coverage in the outfield with Walner and then Royce Lewis comes back. And then we haven't even mentioned on the pitching front prospect wise. Right. You know, we talked about Varlin, Simeon Woods Richardson, when we talked about the rotation earlier. For that matter, Moran, Giovanni Moran is still technically a prospect in the bullpen. Sure. Enriquez is a prospect. Yeah, you got to be able to the legs of Belazovic, who you know right. took a step backwards, but you know has a yeah. lot of upside. It does make it's one of the things that I think makes this year kind of an exciting year. You know, you find, I mean, take a look back to like the last really good you know wave of Twins teams. Two thousand six was the year that if you're taking a look back now, you take a look and say that was the year they really should have maybe broken through because you had still the holdovers from the old group. And you had the youngsters from the new group, right? And you know, they were they were blending, and suddenly, and that's why that team had so much upside, and it also produced a batting champion and an MVP and a Cy Young winner. Like, you know, that was when you get you know one generation, one wave overlapping with another wave. That's when you know you can have really you can have far reaching results, and it feels like. You know, this year has a chance for that. I mean, frankly, it felt like last year had a chance for that. Right. But injuries just devastated that. Um, it feels like this year has a chance for that. And now it almost feels like next year has a chance for that as well. Uh, you know, and it, it's also why I think it's so critical that they have, you know, four, you know, pretty high upside uh, starting veteran pitchers to sort of, to sort of hold things down. You know, you've got all, you got a lot of, a lot of options on the hitting side. You still and and we and they have still have some options on the pitching side. Don't get me wrong, but it's nice to have that core there to say, listen, almost an everyday basis, we should be in these games. And now it's just up to the the, the lineup to to find out which of these guys are going to step forward. Whether it's Larnick and Kirilov getting over their over their problems, or some of the new prospects that are you know waiting for their turn, or Miranda, you know, waiting, you know, trying to advance from. Hey, let's not forget, like twenty twenty one was his breakthrough year. Twenty twenty two, we were just hoping that. 2021 wasn't a mirage right and instead he stepped in and you know for you know listen he wasn't dominant all year but he was dominant for at least like a month and uh you know then they, they made some adjustments now he's got to make some adjustments while learning third base so you know you're just looking for him to take a step forward i don't know it feels to me like there's a there there's a lot of a lot of interesting de- individual development threads to be watching here and when you have that much stuff there it, the potential for a wave for those to come together and really propel things as a team uh, is there. That's what makes this year so exciting. I think. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, so yeah, we each had, I think there were like three that overlapped. So instead out of 10 possible places, I believe we had either six or seven. <laughs> yeah. Actual. Like that. Yeah, that's right. Legitimate different. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit tailored them a little bit differently. I'll take, but yeah, we, yeah. Yeah. I'll take uh, it. Yep. Uh, okay. So, that's it for today. Yeah. Uh, thank you to, to BetterHelp for sponsoring the show. Yeah. BetterHelp.com slash Gleeman. Um, we will be talking to you will... in person next Friday. If you're just lo- downloading the free podcast, uh, uh, we'll be back uh, in person talking to each other. And if not, if you want even more, if you want to really wait around in spring training 
for a little bit, uh, we would suggest you just try the Patreon. It's a buck. What, what do you get to lose? Yeah. And uh, check that out. We'll be back on Monday to talk through uh, probably uh, Aaron's first trip to the uh, to the clubhouse. <laughs> and um, and you'll, you know, what you'll he's get learned to hear. Section. You'll get to hear what travel based complaints I have or what. <laughs> and whether what or not you're able to rent a car this year. Yeah. Did yeah, I get a car? Was I booted from the airport? What did, you know, did they lose my who's, luggage? Who's doing your laundry this year? Well, that's the big question that is looming over the entirety of spring training, really. Yeah. So if you want more, we would love to have you join us now that we're really ramping up. We're going to both be in Florida starting Sunday. Join us for the spring training into opening day. It costs you $1 when we put out a new episode on the Patreon. If we don't put out a new episode for a while, it costs you nothing. We <laughs> would really love you to join us, and we think you'll like it too. So it's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Cleveland John. I will be in your embrace within the next oh, God. 72 hours. All right. Will you wait? for? Can I jump into your arms when I get off the plane? Do you think yeah. we can set that up? It's a little harder security-wise post 9 It's going to be like uh, Lucy with the Charlie Brown of the football, but yeah. Hmm. You just try that. I could see you putting your arms up, and I come running. Now, I don't run real fast, but I, as soon as I jump, you just sidestep like a matador, and I just flop. Okay. Uh, all right. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Cleveland.